Hello and welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with me, Tim Box. And me, Britt Box. This podcast is all about mental health, emotional well-being and navigating your mind in these strange times. A little disclaimer at the start, do not confuse our advice as medical advice because we're not doctors. However, I do work in the field of mental health and Britt is a fierce mental health advocate thanks to her own journey, which we're going to hear something about today. Um, We do try and approach these topics with a fair amount of levity, but please don't think we're trivialising any of the topics we discuss in this podcast. We just like to come at it, hopefully from a slightly different perspective than normal, hence thinking outside the box. And before we get started today, I wanted to give a little content warning for today's episode. Um, There will be references to suicide, self-harm, eating disorders and sexual assault. Please don't worry, I won't be going into detail on these topics, but they will be referenced at times when they're relevant to me telling my story. So listener discretion is advised. And that leads us perfectly on to what the subject of today's episode is. It is all about Brit's story and her journey uh, with depression. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Britt, let's. Uh, I'm going to like play interviewer on this one. I no, feel that's like fine. It's going to be a bit like joining me today is uh, inspiration, national treasure, Brit Box. Oh. <laughs> um, right. So let's start. So my first question, I think, is when did you first become aware of the term mental health? So I actually have known of that term for for a long, long while. My mum was a mental health nurse. That was her profession. That's what she did. Um, and she was a nurse both in hospitals and in other places as well. But yes, mental health nurse was what she was. Now, it was really funny because I can remember being uh, quite a bit younger and knowing my mum was a mental health nurse, but I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I just knew the term. What sort of age was this? Oh, this was probably 10, right, 9, you, 10. Because you were in Canada for the first when did you come from? Because you were born in Canada. Okay. I was, yes. 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 I'm, are you going right, right back? Yeah, we're going so. right back. We're going like, yes. Tell me <laughs> what you remember about your birth. <laughs> One day in June in Canada. Um, it was a snowy day. In June. <laughs> in Canada, it is all the around, isn't it? Um, yes, I'm Canadian and I know I don't sound it, uh, but I've been here, I've been here a while. Uh, and I came to England when I was uh, six six seven somewhere around there I think um I, I do know I just can't remember um and uh, and I've I've been in England ever since um but yes so this was we'd already been in England for a little while and um my mum had been a nurse before she went out to Canada as well um and I'll be honest I've no idea if she was always a mental health nurse or if she specialized in that later in life I really don't know but I do know from an early age that yeah my mum was a mental health nurse but I didn't quite know what that meant I see okay um and so Moving on to what we were talking about then about when you became aware of what it actually was then. Yeah. So when I was uh, younger, I had a bit of an interesting life in that I was a singer when I was a child um, and I did West End Theatre and appeared on several TV shows and recorded albums that will never see the light of day ever. Um, Which is a shame. You have, <laughs> you have a lovely voice. Thank you very much. Um and I, so from the outside, I had 
what seeming to be a really awesome little life when I was younger. Um, I was constantly up in London, which was very exciting when you're 10, 11 years of age. And I went to a theatre school um, up in London as well. And, and I did I did some pretty cool stuff. You know, our rehearsals were at the same studios as EastEnders. So for a half, half of my summer once, I would watch EastEnders being filmed out of a window, which was quite fun. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, but on the flip side of it, the side that people didn't see, because there's always two sides to everything, no matter what you see on social media, or in the news, there's always another side to it. I was going through a really, really tough time from quite an early age. So my mum, as I say, she was a single parent and she was she was a nurse. So she would work long hours and weekends and, and the rest of it. And at the time, we lived with my nan and granddad. So we moved in with and we were sort of looking after my nan and granddad. But all the while my mum was working and she was she was the only one working and, and bringing in a wage for the household. So I only got to spend sort of, you know, a limited amount of time with my mum because she had to work. Yeah. So when she was at work, my nan uh, was who looked after me. And my nan was a small, feisty Italian lady um, who had a thick Italian accent and always cooked pasta. And I'm sorry to buy into that stereotype, but that is exactly what it was. So this is, this is your Italian heritage that is, what, is why you can name all of the different shapes of pasta. Is yes, that right? yeah. and I have a favourite type of pasta. <laughs> oh, and this is why you correct my pronunciation on them as well. Absolutely. I see, right. Um, so my nan and I were very, very close. Um, like I say, she looked after me quite a bit. And my nan had developed breast cancer. And uh, I sort of knew what it meant at the time, sort of didn't. I just remember my mum being very, very upset and my nan going through treatment and me kind of working out what was going on at the time. Um, and then one horrible day in January, um, my mum woke me up in the middle of the night to tell me that Nan had died um, and we she was going up to the hospital. Did I did I want to go with her? And I said yes. And my mum kind of warned me because my like I say, my mum was a nurse. She'd she'd been around the dead and she she knew what to expect. You yeah. know, it wasn't it wasn't it was gonna be a shock to her because it was her mum, but it wasn't gonna be a, a cultural she, she knew the process. She yeah. Knew, yeah, she knew the process, she knew what happened when people passed away in hospital. Um, and she asked if I wanted to go with her and she kind of warned me because my mum was very much a realist. She was, you know, I knew from, I knew about things I probably didn't need to know at that age from a protection point of view for, for quite a while. Yeah, from the things you've told me before, it's very clear that she, yeah, she, she sounds like a, a right trooper as well. Yeah, she didn't want me living in a fairy tale land, which is hilarious because I have a tattoo of the Disneyland Paris castle on my <laughs> leg now. But um, she wanted me to, to, to know what the real world was like. So she kind of warned me, did I want, did I want to come up? It wouldn't look like my nan and, and all, yeah. all all this and that and and I said yes and mm. and I went and I'll be honest uh, listeners I'm glad I did I know a lot of people have different feelings about seeing mm. loved ones after they've passed yes but I'm glad I went and right. I will forever be glad I went and after my nan died things got a bit weird um so my nan was the matriarch of our family mm. uh she did all the cooking she kept a house she did everything while my mum went out to work basically right, and yeah. we also lived with my granddad um yeah. but i bless him i don't think he even knew how to put the kettle on by himself so my nan did everything right. so when nan died the house had a very very different and strange dynamic to it all of a sudden right, and yeah. i was struggling to cope with it um and i really really missed my nan and it was around this time that i started to notice a shift in how i was feeling and it wasn't 
how can I put this? It wasn't just, oh, I'm sad my nan is dead because mm. of course I'm going to be sad my nan is dead. Mm. But it kind of felt more than that. It felt deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and then um, a few months after that, I was sexually assaulted um, in in the middle of a town centre and it was a horrific experience that I actually tend not to talk about. Uh, it's not something that I go into. It's not even something I think a lot of my friends or close acquaintances know about, but it is something I wanted to address. Um, and it, it was horrible, uh, as, yeah. as it's going to be. And that really, really affected me. And that combined with my nan passing away. Yeah. And then on top of it, around that time, um, my granddad had started to show early signs of dementia. Um, and my mum was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. Um, this all happened... Around the same phase of your life. Right? Yeah, all when I was about 12 or 13. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't cope with it. I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't have the, the strategies to cope with it. So I turned to self-harm. Um, I was cutting myself for a while because I used that as a coping mechanism. Um, and then I also turned to bulimia, uh, which is an eating disorder, um, as a way of trying to control my life when I couldn't control it. Were you aware of, of it as, you know, consciously as this is why I'm doing this? Or was it just a sort of... Absolutely not. It no, just felt, a, a response that you had to it. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, <laughs> I've always been... Um, a slightly rounder child shall we say so I'd I'd kind of stopped eating um and then would find that I would just binge and then not eat and binge mm. and then not eat and, and I fell down that pattern almost without realizing it yeah. um but it was only when I would was showed up to school and I used to wear because um I'm slightly older uh, ladies and gentlemen I'm in my 30s now older than what then because you know what does that make me um so basically i'm of the era of uh like wristbands and um you know like the sweatbands that we used to wear that punk 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 pop bands used to wear and some 41 etc anyway so i used to wear uh those sort of sweatbands around my wrists and they were used to Mm. cover marks Um, and I can remember once being at school and I was asked, because I went to a, I went to a Catholic school, everybody, if you can believe that. And, um, and I was told to take them off before I went into a class. Okay. And I remember this feeling of, please don't make me take these off. Please don't make me take these off. It was in front of everybody. Mm. Um, and it was a case of you take them off or you're not coming in. So I, I took them off and I was desperately trying to, to hide any marks. Uh, but that's when a teacher saw them. And then, what then ensued after that was this avalanche of things that again I couldn't control. Yeah. So my mum was called. She was brought in. She was asked, "Look, your daughter is doing this. Did you know?" My mum didn't know. She felt awful that she didn't know because mm. she'd been working. And I'd like to point out as well, at no point do I feel like my mum ever either neglected me or didn't notice or anything. I yeah. purposely hid this from her. This yeah, wasn't yeah, her yeah. not noticing. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, you do get a lot of people say, especially with teenagers, oh, they're doing it for attention. They're doing it for attention. And I can hand on my heart guarantee say to you, I didn't want anyone to know or see about this. This was very much a, I'm doing this because of how it feels, because I needed something. I know it sounds strange, but this was how I'd um, rationalised it in my head. And then from there, 
I, this, can I, I yeah, just want to come in there because I don't. This is the thing. I, I know that. Um, so when you when you've not been through this, it can be difficult to understand. And you know, we might have people listening to the podcast mm. who are experiencing those thoughts, or even taking those actions, yeah. or even maybe parents who have kids who are, who are going through that. Um, was I've I've always um, understood mm. things like cutting and self harm because mm. I've heard people talk about it, but I've never really chatted with you about it in detail. Mm-hmm. But I know that other people have told me it's almost like the physical pain can just distract you from the emotional pain for a time. It can almost give you a different focus. So I know that me personally, when I'm going through a, a bad time, I don't feel sad. Sadness is not the prevailing emotion. It's not like, you yeah. know, the Pixar inside out. It isn't like a little yeah. sad character. For me, it's numbness. Right. And so was this about feeling something? It was then? about feeling something. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I did it. And then after that, I was told I had to go see the school counsellor, who, by the way, was the school librarian. Um, Amazing. I know, I know. Talk about not Hope, really. Hopefully we've come a long way since then. Hopefully. Yeah. So it was the same as the school librarian. that She then referred me out to literally, um, it was like a children's institution, is like the only wow. way I can put it. Okay, um, yeah. And then I had appointments there with a, a therapist there. And then they told my mum, oh, you're your daughter has clinical depression. Oh. Your daughter is um, has has a deficiency of some description. It wasn't, mm. and, and, you know, and I can remember at that time thinking, oh, so there's something wrong with me. Yeah, how did that make you feel? Like I was broken. Right, okay. Um, and even though they knew about everything that had happened to me up until that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was deemed that, no, 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 it wasn't your circumstances that have mm. led you to this, you it are was, broken. Yeah, it was the chemical imbalance story. Yeah, I don't think that was mentioned at the time because um, this was, what is this now, the early 2000s maybe? Yeah, I was just trying to work that yeah, out. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was around that time. And um, and I felt awful. I felt awful and that just it just made me feel worse. And I remember saying to my mum, please don't make me see, please don't make me see them again. Um, mm. And she didn't. And she was, you know, she was very good about it. But I saw... I saw how upset she was in how I was sort of coping with things. So I, I found other ways and, and I kind of, for want of a better term, came out the other side of that by throwing myself into other things. So I'll be honest, because this was around the time my mum started getting really sick with her cancer, not long after obviously we'd lost Nan. Yeah. And my granddad was starting to forget who he was, who we were. My mind was preoccupied. I yeah. was looking after my granddad. I was helping my mum. I was also at this point starting my GCSEs. Because you're also going through that phase of of like adolescence where yes. you're going into your teen years and going yeah. through all of those struggles that we all go through yeah. as teenagers. All the confusion that that time in our life causes. So, yeah, I can I can see how this would be overwhelming. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of how I felt. But on the flip side, and this is what I mean, on the other side of it. Whilst all this was happening, I was still appearing in shows, singing in things, going to theatre school. Um, be, I was appearing on um, things like SMTV, if you remember that, like Saturday morning television. I was doing all those things. So all the kids that I was friends with at school mm. was just just thought that my life was completely different to, to what it actually was. Do you think that was that kind of you could you could bury yourself in that, almost distract yourself from what was going on? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I kind of just switched everything else off yeah. um, and just started focusing on the things I had to do. 
which I love doing. This is the thing. Don't get me wrong. The times when I was on stage were so happy. They were brilliant times and I loved it and I've never changed any of it for the world. And being there for my mum, you know, I, I made the decision to not go to my um, one of my exams so I could sit with my mum while she was having chemotherapy. And I then in the end never got that GCSE. And I, I would do that again. Yeah, I would right. do that. I would, yeah. I would never change that decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd kind of just got on with it, which I think is the best way I can put it. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, after I lost both my mum and my granddad, um, by the time I was 16, 17, I was pretty much on my own. Um, I, I didn't know what to do. I left school. I got a job. I tried to support myself. And genuinely, at this time... I've said this to you before, I felt weirdly all right. Yeah. I felt very, very sad that my mum had died and I was trying to process that. And I felt very sad that my, my nan and because it was literally like, what, five years previous to that, I had everyone. Yeah. And then five years later, they're all gone. Wow. Um, so I had spent my time trying to process that, but I didn't feel like I was depressed. I didn't feel... No. And I certainly didn't feel the way I felt those years ago when I was... 12, 13, seeing a counsellor. So I'm right in saying you weren't given medication. You, you were diagnosed when you were younger. Yes. But you weren't given medication. My mum didn't want me on anything. Right. okay, okay. Um, and, and when you when you lost your mum eventually, and, you, and as you say, you went through that period where you were like, you felt strangely, you know, like you mm. were coping. What do you put that down to? Oh, just getting through, I think, survival. Yeah. I'd gone into survival mode. I was like, because I remember the day I was told... Um, that my mum had passed away, mm. my first words to somebody was, okay, what do I need to do? Who do I need to call? Yeah. I was 16 years of age and I was more concerned with calling my mum's work to inform them, mm. with uh, calling up my school to tell them I was not going to be returning. Mm. Um, I was more concerned with that booking, booking an appointment with the funeral director. Yeah. You know, I was, I would thrown myself into that because I didn't know what else to do. Mm. And I just remember I remember thinking, okay, what did mum do when Nan died? I'll do that. Right. So I kind of went into admin mode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like admin mode, basically. Um, and I was also, I was seeing a boy at the time. Yeah. Um, and I kind of just then spent all my time with him because I didn't know what else to do. And it was only about a year or so later when that, I say relationship in the loosest of terms, because... <laughs> When that relationship ended, yeah. that's when. That's when it hit you. That's when it hit me. Yeah, yeah. And what, what was the, what was that kind of like? Emptiness, right. loneliness, sadness, and this overwhelming numb feeling yeah. of my life will never be the same again. Right. Um, and I was seventeen, I think, yeah. eighteen at this time, and. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So on the advice of a friend at the time, I went to the GP. Yeah. Um, all the time as well, I can remember being really scared about telling the GP because I can remember the first time around when I saw the counsellor at that sort of children's home yeah. that there was talk of me staying there for a while. Yeah. Um, and because I, I must have been 17 then because I can remember that thinking... I'm under 18, they're going to put me away. Right. They're yeah. going to take me and put me away somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I was reluctant almost to go to the GP. Mm. Um, mm. And then when I did go, again, I kind of explained everything that went on 
and I was told um, that I had that was when I was told oh you have a chemical imbalance um, and was was given strong antidepressants for the GP. Wow did you did you have this I don't know it sort of it baffles me a little bit mm. because when I look at I hear this sort of story mm. and you're saying and you know I felt like I would life would never be the same again yeah. maybe I'd never be happy again something yeah. like that and for me that kind of sounds like a, a very healthy reaction mm. to everything that you regard life to be and the happiness of life of being pulled away from you yeah. and kind of you will no longer have and I find it when you lay it out like that it sounds it sounds almost like a strange response mm. to tell somebody they're ill mm. for feeling this bad about all this bad stuff yeah you know? I yeah I, I I agree and but from that moment on I had labeled myself as oh I must have been broken all those years ago when they told me I was broken and or you know it was kind of that feeling of oh I'm back to where I was when when mm. that happened it was almost like I was never going to escape it yeah. because oh well I couldn't have come back here if I'd escaped it mm. you know it was that that kind of feeling um, so I was on, I was on the antidepressants for for a number of years, but I had just tried to get on with things. Mm. So I just, as I say, I got a job. I uh, was just trying to live my life. I went through a few jobs actually. I was never never <laughs> never really happy in uh, in in any one job, um, except the time I worked at Builder Bear. I really enjoyed working at Builder Bear. Well, Builder Bear, everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I just yeah, I just I just got on with it because what else are you supposed to do? But there yeah. were periods of mental uncertainty I think is the best way I can put it mm. and there was at one point where I felt myself slipping down into quite a dark place yeah um in my early 20s um and I again uh I re reverted back to the things that helped me before I say helped very loosely obviously because I started self-harming again um, and it was at this time that I that I tried to take my own life um, unsuccessfully, obviously. Uh, obviously, obviously. <laughs> you've just been talking to a ghost for the past. Say, don't, don't drop that, that uh, bombshell on me. <laughs> um, and I and that's I tell you what it was. I didn't want to die. No. I didn't want to live. I yeah. didn't want to live in the pain. I wanted the pain to stop. See, that's. I, I hear that so much mm. yeah, in terms of people that take their own life. They don't want to, they don't want, you know, no. but they don't, they want to get away from the pain. Yeah. And I genuinely thought this was, this was how the pain was going to stop yeah. because it was relentless because no matter what happened, no matter, I genuinely believed at the time, it didn't matter where I was, who I was with. I wasn't with my mum. I wasn't with my family. Yeah. I didn't have my happy life anymore. And I was never going to get it again. Yeah, right. So I was scared that I was never going to feel true happiness again. Mm. And that is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. And that, I believe, is what depression is. Right. See, this is actually what I wanted to talk to you about when you were telling this story. Is what, what do you feel depression actually at its core is? And it's interesting to hear you say, this idea that I'm not going to feel happiness again. Yeah. Because when, whenever you've told me about this, and obviously, you know, I'm, I, I've not been through this, mm. you know, so I can never fully understand to that level. Mm. But 
the way you describe it to me, it kind of, it, it sort of makes perfect sense mm. in terms of where you ended up emotionally. Because for all of those years, this was your happiness. Every, yeah. Everything that... It was every, my stability. Yeah. And every, everything you would call happiness and joy and comfort and, and you know, this, the safety that you had. Yeah. All centred around your family. Yeah. Yeah. And then when that goes, there is this bit of you obviously thinking, well, I know what I think happiness is mm. and some key component elements of that thing now will never be there. Yeah. And I thought that because I was because I'd lost them all at such an early age mm. and I didn't, I didn't have anything. I'd like to point that out. I didn't, I didn't have anything. And I thought I'm never going to make anything of myself. And, I, and my life is going to be nothing of noteworthy because I had nothing to, to start with. Mm. I don't know. It was, it was also such a juxtaposition from the life that I'd had when they were alive in that I was going to theatre school. I was, you know, yeah, I was yeah. doing singing. I was on TV. I was on. I was on. So West it's almost End. like all of your, all of your ambitions. Absolutely. Gone. Yeah. I stopped singing. You know, and singing was such a creative outlet for me. It was what I really enjoyed doing, but I stopped publicly singing, with the exception of karaoke, <laughs> um, when my mum died. I'm very thankful you still do karaoke. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad that's. Uh, you know, what well, here's the thing. I, I kind of. I know when when I I, I met you. Mm. Yeah, and. And you told me about this and and I, I kind of, it made me understand why you love to sing mm. because I feel like there's something about that joy that, that nothing will ever take away mm. and those times. And I just, yeah, I, I feel like it's almost like when I see you sing, there's a bit of me that kind of, I don't know, connects with, with that part of you mm. that I never knew. Yeah. And I wish I could have been there. Well, this to, is it. To help. This was all going on. So I'm talking about when I was sort of 19, 20, and you and I met when I was, what, 24, mm -hmm. 24, 25? So it wasn't... 26. Was it 26? Yeah, oh, yeah. God. But it wasn't It wasn't that long before I met you no. that I was kind of in the midst of all this. This is the thing. I think about it as, like, ancient history yeah. when you talk about it. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, my God, no, this was just, like, a matter of months yeah. before we met. Yeah, you know? this wasn't... I mean, uh, well, this is, this is the funny thing, I suppose, is that... So then I'd kind of... I'd come back on a more even keel mm. and I was carrying on. And then uh, I had... Oh, I had a really bad summer. <laughs> so I... Um, my appendix burst. Uh, which I don't recommend. Uh, it was it's awful. Um, and I got uh, septicemia. Can I just say, yeah. the universe owes you something. Oh, doesn't it, though? Doesn't <laughs> it, though? Like, doesn't it? I feel like people listening to this are going, give the girl a break, for God's sake. I promise it has a happy ending. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, no spoilers. Yeah, please. no spoilers. Um, but my appendix burst and I got septicemia and, and it was awful and it was horrible. Yeah, I'll and, um, and if you uh, if you've watched my... TED Talk, and um, or you've followed me at all, then you'll kind of know where this bit is going. But to, to shorten a long story that I've already made quite long, um, it was at this point that I found baking, um, and I'd never baked before. My mum, my mum couldn't cook, bless her. My nan, oh, different story. My nan was an amazing cook. My mum could not, and um, and I, I started baking, and I really loved the feeling that it gave me, and I, I, I threw myself into it as, as, as I do with, with things that I enjoy. Um, and I started a, a baking business. I was making cakes, people. I stopped that a few years ago to focus on other parts of the business. But I've now been running uh, She Who Bakes, which is the mm. name of my business, for for ten years in November. So that's Amazing. kind of that's been my my constant, I suppose, yeah. through all of this. 
And even though I don't bake anywhere near as much as I used to, because that's what happens, unfortunately. If you have a hobby (laughs) and you turn it into a job, it kind of, it doesn't suck all the joy out of it, but it does put a filter on it. Loses a little bit of its luster. It does, it does. So, you know, now I only bake really for work, um, for magazine articles, or when I fancy eating something particularly tasty. I love it when you just bake for fun because (laughs) you don't get to do that very often because you're baking for other people and sort of fulfilling orders and and bookings. Yes. And then when I just see you in the kitchen, you're saying, I just thought I'd I'd make some, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't happen as much. You just like it because you get to eat I'm something. I'm going to get some tasty treats. That's what that's what I'm thinking there. But also, I like it because it's like it, it makes me feel like I think you're in a good place when you just bake for fun. It feels. I mean, you yeah. could say, well, hang on, I'm baking stuff to snack on, so maybe that's not. But it, it, I do. I feel like that's a yeah. that's a, a good you that is in the kitchen by choice. Yeah. So so yes, yeah, so it was it was around it was around the time that I that I, that I found baking, but um. Not, I will say this, and this is why I'm going to say it this way, I think. It wasn't like I picked up a mixing bowl and all of my troubles were solved because (laughs) that is not what happened. I started baking and it was fun, absolutely. However, not long after that and before, um, I went to a really, really dark place again. Um, And again, I tried to end it. And I know it sounds like I'm just incompetent, but. I kind of hope there was a reason that none of my suicide attempts went through. Um, And I, again, I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. And I'm, I'm kind of condensing, you know, 32 years into 30 minutes right here. So it does sound like I've never had happiness, but which, which just isn't the case. It was very much, Good times and bad times. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. the best of times. It was the worst of times, if you will. Um, but the problem was, is that when I had bad times, I very quickly went from, I think I'm okay, to, mm. oh, why am I waking up in hospital? It yeah. felt very, very quick. It felt like a, yeah. like a sharp, swift change. Yes. Um, so there came a point, though, and this is this is kind of why I wanted to tell my story because there came a point where I came off antidepressants um, and and haven't been back on them since. Um, I, I came off them and I had, to my best of my knowledge, come out the other side. Yeah, I was very much like I am out the other side of this now. I am. I used to be ill. And now I am better. I was blind, but now I can see. Yeah. And I remember feeling this overwhelming, oh, that's done. Yeah, Fab. sort of, yeah. Much better now. Side. Yeah, I'm out the other side now. And it was around that time that I applied to do the TED Talk. Yes. Because I thought that my talk of adversity to success would be one of inspiration, one that people would want to hear. Yeah. And I maintain that, you know, I think I, I, I'm really proud of my TED Talk. It's probably one of my proudest achievements. It's a great TED Talk. Oh. People should check it out if they haven't heard it. Thank you. It is, uh, if you are looking for it on YouTube, it's in my it's in my previous name. So it's it's under Britt Wyatt, The Courage to Continue. But you'll be able to find it on um, on YouTube. And, and, I, and I loved it. And I felt very, very proud of myself. Now, here's the thing. When I finished my talk and when my talk went up, I remember getting a lovely, lovely message from somebody saying that they related to everything that I'd spoken about. But a sentence they said in their talk was, 
oh, I too suffer with mental health difficulties. And I can remember at the time almost arrogantly thinking, well, no, I thought I made it. I thought I made it quite clear. I'm absolutely fine now. Like mm. I, And I had this kind of aura of, well, it can't touch me now. Yeah, because you've been there and you know it and you've come out the other side. And I thought there's no way with my life the way it is, yep. with everything in place, with who I've got in it, there's no way this can touch me now. And I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was wrong. Um, and I only found that out the following year. So 2019 rolls around and I feel at a loss, as you know, because mm-hmm. you live with me and you heard it all. Mm-hmm. I felt like my life had no purpose. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't, ugh, I know it sounds really dramatic. I didn't feel like there was any point to my existence. Yeah. I'd fallen out of love with a lot of the things I was doing. And I felt like I didn't have anything anymore. Um, And that sent me down a dark road. And I can remember thinking, no, 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 no. You're better. You're fixed. You shouldn't be feeling like this. And almost suppressing it to the point of uh, doing me damage. Yeah. Yeah, so you were in a whole new level of denial. Not that you weren't recognising it or weren't aware of what it was that was going on, but you were recognising it but were refusing to believe or allow the possibility that you were in a dark place again. Absolutely. I was shutting the door on it. I was going, nope. And guess what happened? It made it worse (laughs) because those feelings weren't being heard. Those feelings weren't being listened to. If I'd had stopped and gone, okay, I'm not feeling good. Why? Why am I not feeling good? I would have unpicked a book that said, you feel like your life has no point or purpose. You are struggling to find joy in the things that you are doing. Maybe you should look at changing them. Maybe you should do something new. Maybe you should take up a new project. I didn't hear any of that. I didn't want to hear any of that. Mm. So I spent the majority of the year angry at myself for feeling sad which only then resulted in me feeling more sad Mm. and which didn't result in me trying to do anything about it. So here's the thing. When you start to feel bad again, Mm. um, do you then start to question your idea of, well, I was down because all this happened and then I worked my way through. I found a new type of happiness, you know, Mm -hmm. not the happiness that I had with my relatives but no better, no worse, but a different happiness was yeah. available for me. And you come out the other side of it. Then you go back into a dark place. Do you then start to believe the doctors who were saying... Oh, well, at, at that have, point? Yeah, you have yeah. An, an illness. Absolutely. I remember thinking, oh, no, this has just been there the whole time. Mm. This has just been there under the surface. And I had buried it. But what I didn't realise was those feelings were actually burying the emotion that I needed to listen to. Right. So yeah. I just remember thinking, no, 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 they like it, They must be right. I must be, I must be. As soon as I started indulging it, that was, oh, no, I am actually broken. Yeah. That was then harder to then hear what was really going on. Mm. So I had that going on at the time. I can remember you and I were in Barbados in 2019. We yeah. were in literal paradise. Yep. And you were out 
at one at the restaurant, I think, and I'd popped back to the room to get something. And I remember being in the room and I remember leaning on the balcony and I remember looking out at the, you know, the blue swim up and the, the palm trees. And I had tears in my eyes because I felt sad. And I remember at the time thinking, if I'm not happy in paradise, yeah, yeah. I will never be truly happy. Yeah. And that then sent me down somewhere dark. Because again, as I've said, and you and I agree on this, that I believe that it's the absence of light yeah. that takes us down yeah. rather than rather than anything else. And I remember feeling that way. And then, God, I'm talking a lot. I do apologise. No, no, but... don't, don't, don't apologise at all. <laughs> and then we hit 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just when we thought. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Um, and I honestly, and this is why, oh, this is why the start of the pandemic hit me as hard as it did, because I promise you now, right, at the end of uh, 20, 2019, October, November 2019, I had started my university degree. I was like, what do I enjoy? I enjoy writing. I'm yes. going to do, I'm, I'd never been to university. Yeah. I never even did my A-levels because of reasons that we explained. I barely scraped through with a couple of GCSEs. Yeah. No one in my family had been to university. Um and we'd spoken about it and you said, you enjoy writing, go do writing. Yeah. So I found the degree. I'd started the degree as well as this time. I do aerial sports. I do hoop and I do pole fitness and I love them. I've actually done yeah. pole for many a year and hoop for many a year. But it was around this time that I was really invested. Yeah. I was really going for I was training about eight hours a week. I was covered in bruises and I loved it. You know, I was really, really throwing myself into that. I'd also started weightlifting and I was getting personal bests each week. Uh, we had got annual passes to Disneyland Paris and we were going to Disneyland Paris every so often. We'd gone on several holidays. I honestly, toward the end of 2019, I was like, my life is good. Yeah, yeah. And I had, I was like, you know what? That bad time I was having earlier in the year, I can see the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming out the other side of it. I can see the light. And I was like, this is amazing. And I absolutely loved every part of my life and what was going on. I was so happy. I felt I'd found a bit of a purpose. I felt I'd found things I enjoyed. I think this is actually, I just want to interject. Yeah, here. absolutely. The, the thing that you're saying, it makes absolute sense to me because it feels like, you know, just to rewind a little bit, mm. you know, from my perspective of what I'm hearing from you, your, your personal perspective and me stepping outside of it and looking at what's going on you get to the the point where you start to you know, so when you start to bake yeah baking being initially a pleasant distraction yeah something you can enjoy take your mind off of the dark stuff but then of course it becomes a purpose because now you're starting to build your business for example yeah. you're starting to become known for what you do you're starting to build a following on social media and it becomes more than just a distraction then it becomes a passion yeah. and it becomes something that you're really proud of building as well yeah and then there was that moment where you didn't necessarily instantly fall out of love with it, but mm. it stopped being the thing that you thought it was going to be, I suppose. It stopped know? being the thing I could go to to cheer me up because it was my job. <laughs> yeah, and, that's it. and so it didn't, it didn't hold the same place in your heart anymore. Yeah. And I think that was, it, I wouldn't say existential crisis, but you know when you were saying, yeah. I don't feel like I'm worth anything, I'm here, what's my point, that yeah. sort of thing. That's what can happen when we lose an actual, you know, a, a thing to, to shoot for. It felt a bit like a grief as well. It felt yeah. a bit like, like losing something again, of which... I have lost so much. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it become like a foundation stone on yeah. your own your own identity. I suppose, and yeah. then of course that crumbles. Yeah, and suddenly everything's fallen to bits again. Yeah, and I remember at the time I felt so 
like I'd let you down, mm. you know, because and I know this is this is how partners will often feel when their partner goes through depressive times or yeah. suffers with this stuff. Because, I mean, you feel like, well, they should be happy with, you know, I'm not doing my job, am I? Because yeah. I'm, and, you know, pile that on top of the fact this is what I do for a living is help yeah. people with this. Well, that, and, and as well, then I felt guilty yeah. for feeling down because I didn't want it to be a reflection on you. So I had guilt about the feelings as well. Yeah. Well, this is what I strongly suspected was that you were keeping half of it from me yeah. because you didn't, <laughs> you didn't want to give me those feelings like I was letting you down, you yeah. know? And, but fortunately, you know, I, my, my, my kind of, um, my ego is I'm, I'm happy for where we are now. You know, I, I know it has nothing to do with, mm. with what's going on with me mm. because I kind of, I feel like I, I understand it on some level in, in terms of yeah. the reason you were in a good place then mm. when you were doing the uni work, you know, because you literally, you, you'd kind of found that thing that you'd always loved and you, and you now had a purpose. You knew you wanted to be the first person ever in your family to have a degree. Yeah. You knew you wanted to be a writer. That's what you love doing. When it, and this is the thing, I've seen that ever since I've known you how much you love when you start writing you're you're gone i'm that's alexander it. Yeah. hamilton that's it you're you're just like you you're working you know day and night you know why, why does she write like she's running out of time you know that sort of thing you're, you're all the way all the way in there yeah and and that's amazing and also you had the things you were doing with your fitness your aerial and, and weightlifting yeah. that wasn't just distraction that was making you feel awesome about you all your exercise endorphins yeah <laughs> bosh no, i mean what i mean is yeah. that it was you building you yes you know and, and that's an amazing thing when we find that passion yeah. so your work passion was there yeah. your self-development and and kind of well-being passion was there we were going on holidays we were going on trips your your pure indulgent joyful times were there as yeah. well and our relationship as it's always been was amazing <laughs> Rock can solid. i just say yeah exactly and then the pandemic hit. Yeah, it's like, it's like the um, Grand Designs, the latest series, where you get to that bit in it where, and then 2020 happened. Yeah, that, it, that it feels thing. like yeah. Kevin MacLeod should be coming. Yeah, yeah. Comments. But, um, and then that's exactly what happened. And then I can remember in March, April, June, July, August, September, feeling so angry yeah. that my life, that I had spent so long in turmoil, yeah. that I felt again... No, no, no. I just got it to where I wanted it to be. Because I, I, I love routine. I'll be honest. I, as much as I love doing nothing, I love routine. So the fact that I had, you know, I had pole on this day. I had weightlifting this day. I had uni work on this day. I had work on this day. I had scheduled in my weeks. And I loved the schedule. And yeah. I loved what I was doing and when I was doing it. Yeah. And then come March, boom, yeah. stop. Everything stopped. And I know it stopped for everyone. I'm not unique in this situation. Yeah. But everything stopped. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this will be a thing for a little bit, for yeah. three weeks, as we said in the last one. Um, and then when it carried on and carried on, I was like, oh, and I felt my, mm. felt my grip on my reality slowly loosening. Mm. And I felt like, I think the way I described it to you, I felt like at the start of the pandemic, I was holding a big bunch of balloons and each balloon was something I enjoyed. It was aerial, it was hoop, it was writing, it was this, it was that. And one by one, those balloons were being popped until I had no balloons and I was falling on the floor, you know, and, and that's kind of how it felt. And then that's when I got sad again. And that's when I hit a really bad place. And But this time it's felt, and I, I know I'm not alone here, just based on the messages and emails that I've received from people who yeah. listen to what I do, it has felt like a roller coaster, a corona coaster, if you will. And it feels like, 
some days you feel like you're at the top and you can cope with it and some days you're at the bottom and you absolutely can't and it's been that up down up down up down up down that has resulted into again what we've referred to emotional exhaustion yes now the reason I wanted to tell my story and the reason I wanted to get all of this across from start to finish was not for people to feel sorry for me was not for people to be like oh god hasn't you know hasn't she been through hell because I know I have I lived it it's okay but it's to know that so many times in my life I was told that there was something wrong with me Mm. I was told that I was broken that I needed fixing when really if I lay it all out to you as I have now are you really surprised I was struggling to cope with life Is it any shock that as a young teenager, losing someone closest to me, going through something awful like I did, that I was feeling like I couldn't cope with life, Mm. that when I lost my rock, my mum, my number one, like, and then when mum died, I didn't just lose mum, I lost my singing, you know, I lost my stability, I lost my home. Mm. Is it any wonder I didn't want to carry on? And then again and again and again. And I feel now, it's only now that I can sort of step back. And I'm not saying I've got all the answers. I'm not saying that I'm fixed by any stretch of the imagination. As I say, I had an awful, awful day the other day where I truly believed that I was in a a depressive spiral. I wasn't sure how to get out of, but I did. I just want to tell people who are listening to this, who might think that they're broken, that you're not. I think now that every time I've gone through a bad phase, if we can call it that, that it was a perfectly acceptable emotional response in conjunction to what I'd been through. And I think as well, it's important to point out, at the time when you went through the first bit of depression um, that we've acknowledged since I was with you, Mm. we didn't really know what was going on no. we didn't necessarily we couldn't necessarily attribute it to oh well, this has happened you know it wasn't like we'd had some incident. trauma or incident yeah and it was more about the direction that life had taken us mm. and, and where and where you felt you were in in your um in, in your journey you mm. know and that it's all it was very much a lot of subtle drivers mm. that you, and you get to the point where you wake up one day and you and you start to think, what's the point? Yes. Um, and, and that can be coupled as well with um, with pressures as well on you from... So, for example, you know, I I remember at the time my business was starting to go to the next level and I was I was doing well. And you, I remember you saying to me, I feel like there's pressure. You know, I should be contributing more. I should be doing more. And all this should be keeping up with you. Yeah, and this is the thing. And it's like all those things that are not deliberate, obviously, and they're not necessarily overt mm. in that they hit us in the face, but they're just that little that little thing that weighs down on us that little bit more. And before we know it, we've lost our, our footing in, mm. in our own happiness. And I can remember as well the pressure I put on myself that I'd felt like a fraud, yeah. that I felt like, well, for the past four years, I've planted my flag in the sand and said, look, mm. I'm, I'm better, I'm okay. And, oh, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and And I felt like I had been lying to people I had been you know fraudulent I don't know but I think the thing we've got to remember is that life never stops throwing us challenges yes and and we never stop learning how to deal with them 
And when we get thrown one that we're not familiar with, or we didn't see coming, or we just we haven't got the strategies on board to deal with right now, then we might expect to get knocked over. Mm. And that's okay, I think. It doesn't say anything about us as a person mm. if we're going through a phase where we're struggling. And I think as well, we've spoken about this a couple of times, that when you've been down to the depths... I was just about to say this, you know the way. Yeah, you, you know the way. Yeah, that's exact, That's the way that it needs to be put, isn't it? It's mm. like you recognise the path there. Mm. So you kind of start to be concerned about, uh, am I going down that path a lot earlier than someone who's never been there before? And because be. I knew what certain roads that path took me on, yeah, I didn't want to go down those paths again. I didn't want to use those strategies again. Yeah. But I was worried if I started making my way down that path, I would have no other option. Yeah. And that's the important thing. Mm. You always have the option. You always have the option to not do the things that you've done just because you've always done them. Yeah. Just because that's where I always fell to doesn't mean that's where I will always fall to. And this is the thing as well. It's worth noting that the solutions, like the action you need to take to, to turn the corner and, to, and go with the other, in the other direction, they're not always obvious either. No. And sometimes I know that you went through a phase, literally years, of trying to find what it was that would get you out of that phase. Yeah. And... And now that we're here, see, I feel like what we're going through at the moment, we're, the thing that we do a lot of is reminding ourselves this is finite and, yeah. and we will eventually get out the other side of it yeah. because it's really easy, isn't it, to feel like there is no light out there when we're in the midst of it. Absolutely. And, and I'm hoping, um, you know, I'm really hoping that what we can do at this time in our lives is recognise that for all the difficulty that we might go through and the challenges we might face, there is this natural passing of time mm. that we couldn't stop if we wanted to. So the phase that we have drifted into right now, and I know we really hope we're past the mid phase and we're going out the other side of it, but I guess we don't we don't actually know. But for all of that, hopefully we can remind ourselves that this will end at some point mm. and we will get out the other side of it. And then all the plans that we had in place, all the plans you had in place for your next journey will, will continue. You know, I've noticed a, an upturn in in you since you've been able to re-engage with your uni work with the new term and everything mm. you know which again nothing's really happening exactly as we wanted it to no but that's something that you are able to continue with and we we might find as well that when we get quote unquote back to normal we find a way of life that's even better than the one we had before yeah. you know you keep hearing people talk about when things get back to normal back to normal back to normal well, what if we have a new normal? What if mm. what if during this phase, you know, for example, we've been going out for a lot of walks. Mm. I'd like to make that part of my life. And that yes. was never part of my life before. Yeah. So what I'm saying is maybe keep yourself open to the things that you've the lot the things that you've lost because you might find new new things to add to it's, that. As well. It sounds tremendously cliched and oversimplistic to say there are good things that come out of the pandemic <laughs> as well. But there actually are. It's a cliche, I suppose a cliche, I suppose, because it's true that yeah. we, we're gonna come out of this phase and we've learnt more about ourselves. We've yeah. learnt more about life and what happiness is for us and we might be a little bit more mindful about where we put our energies and maybe not taking certain things for granted mm. as well as we've done before. I guess the reason for this episode, I wanted to to tell my story. And again, this is the crib notes version. This is just the quickened version that I could do. Um, I wanted to tell my story so that you guys who are listening know where I'm coming from, know where I sit on the matter and why I think I can talk about these things because I've lived through them. Um, 
you know, we've not even talked about anxiety. That's its own. That's its own beast. This one has just been. This one has just been pressure. Whole other episode. Really is. Um, which we will get onto at some point. But the reason I want to tell the story, other than that, other than to sort of show you who I am and lay myself out bare, is to let you know that there is hope. There is always hope. There is always hope at the end, and to hold on to that, because I know now that when I'm going through a, a darker phase, if you will, I know I'll come out of it. I know I'll get the other side of it. I know I might go through another darker phase. I'm not saying that, right, my next one should be my last one. I'm giving up on these altogether, yeah. you know, my New Year's yeah. resolution. And I know that now, but that's the difference. That's what comes with experience. The first few times I went through a really horrible place, I thought I'd be in that dark place forever. I was wrong. The time when I went through the least amount of time in my life with, you know, with, with dark phases, when it was all light, I was like, I will never feel the darkness again. And I was wrong. I feel like the experience of both of those has taught me that the light and the dark come together. And that when you are feeling through the dark, you will find your way back to the light again. I promise. Even when it feels like you won't. I promise you, you will. And if my sad story leaves you with anything it is that please never ever ever give up hope Amen. i love that i love that and also the thing that i think is worth from my point of view saying is that i know i've been with you now through depressed times depressive periods mm. um but i've never had a day with you where we haven't laughed where we haven't smiled and where we haven't shared moments that have been of have been wonderful you know so i guess yeah that's that's what i would say is that you know what we can tolerate a lot of darkness if we can see the light that we're heading towards yeah our focus there and i think depression will sometimes convince us that there is no light out there mm. um but as you rightly point out there there always is mm. and you know when when our mind re-engages and starts looking for it there's a good chance we might find it absolutely well thanks so much my darling, for telling that story. I'm you, sorry it was a bit of a heavier episode, guys. <laughs> honestly, I, I, I strongly suspect um, people will get a lot from this episode. Mm. And I just want to say I love you so much <laughs> and you inspire me so much. Um, you know, and I've got nothing else to say, I think. Just, um, well, I will then jump in and say I hope you've enjoyed this episode, guys. If you have, you can come and find us um i'm on instagram at brit marie box and tim can they find you i'm on instagram at tim box mind coach and uh, the youtube channel is tim box mind coach as well so please do subscribe please do come back for more episodes of thinking outside the box with tim box and brit box um, we will be covering lots of different things they won't all be as heavy as this but they are all things that we are taking very seriously so we do hope that has helped guys um, do something nice for you today I hope you have a lovely day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.